This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Well, I'll tell you, Paul Mercurio is an Emmy and Peabody award-winning comedian who currently works on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and appears regularly on that show. Also worked with The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, had specials on HBO, Comedy Central. His podcast, Inside Out with Paul Mercurio's, had guests such as Paul McCartney, Kevin Costner, Brian Cranston, Kira Sedgwick. And now the man has hit the big time and joins us today on Eye on Annapolis, man. How are you doing, Paul? <laughs> I am. This is a, I'm great. It's I'm <laughs> nice to be on with you. And you're right. Just I'm excited about being down there and hitting the big time with you. <laughs> That's true. Well, Paul will actually be here in person in Annapolis at Ram's Head on stage for one show only, and it is the only show in the area, so you're not going to be able to catch him anywhere else. But that's right. Friday, February 9th, and I did just go and peek, and there are a few tickets left. And when I say a few, I'm talking a handful and a couple fingers. And, uh, I'm very excited about it. Everybody's saying what a great venue it is. And I lived in D.C. I know that's not right next to Annapolis, but sort of in the general area. I've never been to Annapolis, so I'm very excited about the whole thing. It is, and I'm a little bit biased, but it is a great venue. It does win awards. It's a small room. It's only like 300 people, but you're it's there's no bad seats, and it's it's pretty intimate. It's pretty cool. I um, yeah. I remember seeing Bob Saget there um, before he passed away, and he was just absolutely fabulous just to see him up close and personal and to realize that Danny Tanner is a filthy comedian. You know. <laughs> you know exactly right it's like it's like it's like he went the other way it's like a i always liken him to like a like a an 11 year old who turned 12 and realized he could say dirty words and like just said as many as he could <laughs> <laughs> that would be george carlin's bit right yeah, yeah exactly 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 <laughs> just how do the people who make vaseline make any money i have had the same tub of vaseline Right? Right? The guy with the glasses, am I right? My Vaseline was handed down to me by my grandfather in a will. You've never heard this phrase uttered in the history of mankind. Honey, I'm going out to get more Vaseline. You could go through 50,000 bags of garbage. You're not going to find one empty container of Vaseline. One time I almost threw my Vaseline out. I'm like, uh, I don't recognize these fingerprints. I think my wife is cheating on me. Ah, screw it. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, you are a comic. You are also a lawyer and an investment banker on Wall Street, I guess, by education. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You're not one of those ambulance chasing lawyers because you went to Georgetown Law. They don't allow you to do that once you graduate from there. <laughs> Right, but the, the, but they let you go into comedy. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, you you gave it all up for stand up. I mean, did you hate your mom or something? Well, I do hate my mom. It's interesting <laughs> to say that uh, she's ninety six and oh god you know, bless her. Oh no, she will not go down. We try everything. Uh, <laughs> sour milk, bad cheese. You trip her, she bounces back up like a little Italian weevil. It's adorable. So, you know, I don't know. I just was like working on Wall Street. I was in New York working in a big law firm and then a big investment bank doing M&A deals. And, um, you know, people always like, what is M&A exactly? Well, it's like, you know, merchant acquisitions. It's like uh, when you eat, you have a salad and then uh, you have a steak and that's like the acquisition. And then a couple of days later, you uh, relieve yourself. That's the merger. And uh, I... I was the colon. It all went through me. And uh, so I basically started writing jokes and comedy ideas in law school. I don't know why. 
I was living in this tiny apartment in D.C., and then I got to New York and started writing more jokes, and I met Jay Leno at a private function, and um, I got to see him just doing his thing, and I went up to him, and I had all these jokes and a passworded file at work because I didn't want anybody to get into my computer and see what I was doing, and I went, so I went up and I said, I don't know if you need jokes, but I'm never going to use these. You can have one. He's like, okay. <laughs> he really does talk like they're letting helium out of a balloon very, very slowly. And then uh, you just want to go like, breathe, just breathe a little bit when you talk, Jay. And uh, then a couple of days later, he called me and um, the phone rings and it's like, it's Jay Leno. I was calling there. And I thought it was my friend pulling a prank because there's no way Jay Leno would call me. And I'm like, yeah, really funny, David. He goes, no, really, it's Jay Leno. And I'm like, Stop. I know it's not Jay Leno and I'm really busy. I don't have time. He goes, no, it's Jay Leno. I go, it is not. He goes, it's Jay Leno. And I actually said to Jay Leno, you do a lousy Jay Leno. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, sure enough, it was Jay Leno. And he said, I'll hire you to send the jokes for the Tonight Show uh, monologue and pay 50 bucks a joke. And then he would, he mocked me. He was like, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a lawyer. He goes, I knew it. He goes, good wordy. You write like a lawyer. You're writing a joke. Get to the punchline. You're not writing the Magna Carta, for God's sake. And so, and then about a week later, he did one of the jokes, and it just blew my head off my shoulders. And then, and then I got became obsessed with writing jokes and telling jokes. And I, um, I started to live a secret double life where I was a lawyer, banker by day. I was like this dysfunctional superhero. And then I get in the car on a dinner break and I would go to dive bars around New York City and I would like take my jacket off like some weird superhero and like I just had my little tie and white shirt on and I would go to dive bars around New York City working open mic nights uh, and it was just crazy and these were dives like they were dealing drugs out of there there was a hooker there was a hooker who worked in one and she would actually give you notes on your joke when you got off stage she was like a, she was like a hooker with a heart of gold you know what I mean that one kind of thing there you go that and, one didn't work out too well so, you know. yeah exactly so she yeah, so but it was really like a yeah, completely unexpected journey. Well, well apparently it's uh, been pretty successful because you've got an Emmy and a Peabody for comedy. And well, it's not mine; I, it's John Stewart's. I took it from his office, well, so he doesn't. Yeah. He's like, yeah. you know, well, you know, you take the credit where credits do. Okay, I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. But, you know I, I mean, so what type of comedy do we expect when Paul Mercurio comes to Ramshead on February 9th? Oh, I, you know, I. A lot of weeping. I cry a lot during my show when I realize, no, um, I, uh, I, you know, I'm sort of. Because your mother won't die, right? Well, my mother, (laughs) like she, yeah, like that's like my wife. It's just my wife. You know, when you start out, I think you try to write stuff you think people are going to want to hear, you know, stuff that's broad, like, you know, McDonald's with food or whatever. But then you get into it and you're like, you know what? I just want to talk about myself. So it's a combination of me, my backstory, my, how I look at life and I comment on, so I don't do political stuff, but you know, social stuff in general, you know, like, so, and about my mother, like my, like I will talk about her because she's had a big influence on my life and she's still around and she started her furniture business in 1960 ran it for 63 years and we had to close it after 63 years and we ran it with her we had to live at home and i was chained to a furnace and you have no idea john it was horrible and i was like working all the time and then we said it was time to close the store and she's mad because she wants to open a store somewhere else at 96 i'm like you're not opening the store because that means we're gonna have to keep working in it and we're adults now and we're not gonna do that anymore and she's like well what am i gonna do i go you're 96 i mean you got you have your help We'll take you to the senior center. You because I'm not going to go there. Those people are old. I'm like, you're, you're old. You're 96. What do you think you're going to go skydiving with Taylor Swift? You're old. Okay. So 
And she grew up in the depression. So anybody listening knows you've got these family members that just will not spend money because that just had like an impact on their life. Right. So she will go through garbage on Sunday. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. When they leave the garbage out, she goes through garbage looking for good garbage, not food, but stuff that's broken. And then she has a friend, Mario, because everybody's got a friend. Right. And he fixes stuff. And so she found her hearing aid in the garbage. I am not making this up. And it's terrible. It whistles like all the time. It's just like. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, you know, when you talk to my mother, it's really like talking to a tea kettle in a house dress, basically. And she and so here's one reason we had to close the store, because my mother was locking customers in the store in the middle of the day. Okay, so I go there one. This is all true. I go there one day. The doors lock and um, there's somebody in the store, but there's no broken glass. I'm like, what's going on? I, I go, man, what happened? Because when I was looking around, I turned to ask your mother a question. I couldn't get out. I said, how long have you been here? She goes, four hours. <laughs> I go, what are you been doing? She goes, well, I browsed a lot. She goes, I took a nap on that sofa. And she goes, your name, Paul? I go, yeah. She goes, well, the phone rang and I took messages. She took messages for me, okay? And so I'm getting my mother and I pull her aside when she shows up and I go, Mom, you can't lock people in the store. What are you doing? She goes, well, I don't know what you're yelling me about. The woman liked the nap, took like that sofa she took a nap on so much. She's going to buy it. I made a sale and I wasn't even in the store. I'm like, okay, you win. I'm dead. All right, fine. <laughs> and so it's just slices of my life. And, you know, like, um, you know, I have a kid and we talk about, you know, when you have a kid, you're supposed to say it's the best thing that ever happened to you, you know, and it's like, nah, there are some days you wish they'd walk into the woods and never come back, right? You just, a little bit, right? Like, you just, like, <laughs> and, uh, and my, like, my son was seven, he had a baseball tournament. And my wife's like, you go father-son bonding weekend. And after three days alone with him on the road in a hotel, it hit me. I don't really care for the kid. I have to be honest with you. (laughs) Very needy. I'm tired. I want to take a nap. I want food. Can you just stop for God's sake? Like, and, uh, and so, you know, we just basically, I just like to hit on what's going on in my life and, and like political correctness too. I like to talk about that. Well, how, I mean, with, with your work, you know, in, on late night, I mean, you said you don't do, you sort of steer away from politics. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, cause I know, well, I know yeah, a couple of comedians that won't do colleges just because they're like, oh, you know, in 1973, I saw you, it was on YouTube. Somebody put a, you know, super eight thing on YouTube and you said, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's an issue. I think you can either get mad about it or, I mean, the reason you can't talk politics now is it's not like the days of like William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal where you could have these sort of gentlemanly conversations about uh, politics from both sides of the aisle. Now it's just people screaming at each other. It just doesn't work in a club, especially. And I go on CNN, MSNBC and Fox News and even there, like it's just hard. Right. But you can talk about like, like I do think you hit it on the head about the, the super eight thing. I think people are out there just always looking to catch somebody, you know, like a gotcha moment. And I think social media has played into that and emboldened people. But like, but not just in comedy clubs, but in real life. Like, so my wife and I, we live in New York City, and we're walking our dog in Central Park. And there's a law in New York, you're supposed to have your dog on a leash uh, after 9 a.m. And our dog was on a leash, and there's a guy whose dog was on a leash. It was screaming, it was scaring people. It was like kids around, running around. The dog was going crazy. He was a big dog. And my wife goes, sir, excuse me, your dog, it really should be on a leash. Just like that. Like, nothing more. Just, and the guy goes like this. Why? Because it's a pit bull? Like, implying that we were like, 
white racist people toward pit bulls or something. And I'm like, no, because it's got a baby in its mouth. That's why. Okay. Because <laughs> it has prison tattoos and a gun. Okay. Will you stop? Like, listen, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life and maybe you did this or maybe your parents did it with you or maybe you did it with your kids. Every Halloween, my parents would dress me as a hobo. That's what they would call it. Because we didn't have money for costumes, so it was daddy's old clothes they send you out, right, with a little knapsack or whatever. You couldn't do that today because it would be considered insensitive because, you know, it's homeless people. And it was kind of crazy and weird if you think about it. Because think about it. Our parents dressed us as homeless people and sent us out onto the streets at night to collect free food in front of real homeless people. <laughs> sure. True. And and it sucked. I never got candy. Every house, baked beans and a harmonica. That was it. I you know, it was terrible. So <laughs> so I do think if you're a stand up, you can push back. Like you can talk about things that do make the people uncomfortable so that they can see, you know what, you can talk about uncomfortable things and we're all still alive and we're not gonna die from it. So I think that that's that's part of what I do in my act is I, I'm not politically incorrect for the sake of being politically incorrect. I think that's childish, but I'm not going to steer away from something that's potentially controversial just because somebody might get upset. Well, then just don't come see me. So, but I'm not, a, I don't consider myself a controversial comic, but I do, I do like to just talk about what's going on in the world. Fair enough. Fair enough. Who's the best comedian ever? Um, I have ones that I like based on, um, what they do like i think jonathan winters is the greatest improvisational comic that ever lived um i think uh steve martin for his crazy inventiveness george carlin for his like very really pinpoint accuracy and like ability to kind of really analyze things in a way that nobody else does so i like those three a lot but I don't have one favorite that like encapsulates everything, you know, but it's, but it's been fun. And, you know, and look, it was scary when I left wall street, like it wasn't like, Oh, I left. And it's really cool. Like I was having a nervous breakdown that I made a mistake. I was like, cause I sold my apartment and I moved, moved to a rooming house in new Rochelle, New York for $325 a month. And I lived in a little like 10 by 12 room with a hot pot on the floor. And I shared a kitchen and a bathroom with like, two eight other people and two of them were two ex cons and <laughs> one was a one was a, a 300 pound phone sex operator who sold herbalife diet products door to door <laughs> and, and that was my life and uh and then it was really hard in the beginning you know you're doing these terrible shows where nobody's paying attention in bar rooms you're getting paid 20 bucks and i was doing these huge merger deals and i'm like what have i done like i like and i i freaked out for a while and i went back to wall street for a while so it wasn't like a clean break you know it took me a while to really get my head around what I did, you know. And fifty bucks a joke wasn't cutting it from Leno, I guess. <laughs> no, it wasn't cutting it. I mean, look, I had a guy. I was at, I was at a club one night in the Bowery, and um, I was in my little white Brooks Brothers shirt, waiting to go on stage as a poet. I'm the folk singer on stage, playing "Blowing in the Wind" badly, like yeah, it's very bad, like, worse than Dylan, if you can imagine that. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a scuffle with the pool table guy runs out of the bar the other guy grabs his, his arm he goes he cut me man he cut me it was a drug deal gone bad he, he cut him with like a box cutter and he's bleeding and he's drunk though he's drunk and his girlfriend's crying oh my god look at my boyfriend he cut me he's screaming i know where he lives i'm gonna get him his girlfriend's crying oh my god look at that. the answer my friend the guy just keeps playing like he's not getting off right <laughs> he doesn't care he's literally playing through a slashing right so i um i'm next but i think the show's over so i make my way to the door and i hear the mc go uh 
all right, you guys ready for some comedy? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I go on stage and I say, it's nice to be here. I always wanted to follow a stabbing. And um, I thought that was a pretty good line. But the guy who heard me say that thought I was making fun of him, who got cut. And he goes, are you making fun of me? I need to take this. And he takes all these bloody napkins that he had, and he throws them at me, and he sticks to my shirt. <laughs> right? Nice. So, I finished my set. I go back to the firm. I was gone three hours. I was supposed to be gone an hour. And they couldn't find me. The senior partner was losing his mind. You know when your dad is mom screams at you like so, like their veins are popping out of their head. It was like that. So I walk into a conference room. And now at this point, I couldn't change my shirt. So I had a file folder. And here I am like an adult acting like an 11-year-old. I'm like, I'll just put this file folder against this grapefruit-sized bloodstain right by my rib cage, And no one will notice it, right? So I walk in the conference room and this guy's screaming at me like, where have you been? I couldn't find, why do you have a blood stain on your shirt? <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, I'm caught. My secret's out. So one of the other lawyers goes, before I can say anything, he goes, what kind of shirt is that? I go, it's a Brooks Brothers shirt. Well, he goes, oh, I know how to get blood out of a Brooks Brothers shirt. <laughs> he goes, club soda and lemon juice. Then another guy goes, no, Armani, that's the shirt you want. I'm like, are you guys remaking American Psycho in your spare time? What are you guys doing here? So so it was it was like this crazy journey, but it's obviously something I guess I was really in me that I wanted to do, you know? It's crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll say, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. It's called Inside Out with Paul Mercurio, and I do recommend everybody give it a subscription, give it a listen, and you've had a number of big names on there, but you've had mm-hmm. probably the first the top of the A-list, Paul McCartney, and I need you to tell me that he was like trying to call Bezos or something and he dialed the wrong number and somehow got you. How wow, did you get Paul really McCartney hurt. on? That, that really hurt. Thanks a lot. Thanks. <laughs> why don't you just say, when we're done with this interview, why don't you say, go see loser Paul Mercurio? No, but yeah. how do you get Paul McCartney? No, it's a great question. I know, it's crazy. So he was at the Colbert Show and I'm working at the Colbert Show and he was a guest and he rehearsed and he was done with rehearsal and then it was time for me to go in the studio because I was doing something on the show and um, I, I run down they go down a set of stairs and around the corner to make your way to the state studio and standing in the hallway all alone is Paul McCartney just chewing gum looking up at the ceiling like he's waiting for a bus like all alone and that's the thing that threw me more than anything was that he had no security he was all alone and uh, I, I, I'm frozen at that point, and I'm go, and my whole world slows down. I'm like, oh my god, it's Paul McCartney. I'm like, should I say hi? Should I not say hi? And I'm like, you know what? He's alone, unguarded in a hallway. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti Plains. I'm a lion. I'm gonna pounce, right? <laughs> so I go over and I say, it's an honor to meet you. So excited to hear your performance tonight. Big fan. Walk away. And he goes, wait, wait, come back. I'm like, what? What do you want? I'm busy. I have things to do. No. He goes, uh, what's your name? I go, Paul. He goes, oh, Paul. That's a good name. I'm like, I'll do the jokes, buddy. Okay, you just uh, play your little songs. All right, back off. Um, <laughs> I, I goes, so what do you do? I goes, I want to stand up. I work on this show. I work on the Daily Show, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, I love stand up. We start talking about stand up. And he goes, uh, and then you got a kid. Yeah, I got a kid. Yeah, you tour. Yeah, it's hard. We start talking about touring. Blah, blah. And I'm just talking to him like I'm talking to you. And on the outside, I'm smooth. I'm like, hey, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. On the inside, I'm like, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. Like I was out of my mind, right? Like those girls you see like in the, in the uh, you know, in the, 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 the Shea Stadium film or whatever. And as I'm talking to him, I'm getting closer and closer to his face because I'm checking him out because he's Paul McCartney. And he's iconic. And he looks amazing. 
And I was so close to him, John. Like at one point, did you ever see those chimps on the National Geographic channel where they clean fleas off their mates? I could have cleaned ticks off his eyebrows. Like that's how close <laughs> I was. So I was like the close talker in Seinfeld and I had him pinned against the wall. So finally I go, all right, I'm, it just this idea comes into my head and I just blurt out, you know what? Would you do my podcast? I'd like to talk to you about how you make music. I just blurted it out. And he goes, yeah, sure. Just like that. Now, at this point, I'm like, oh, okay. And then he goes, how would we do it? And I turn, I'm not making this up. This is what I sounded like. I froze and I went, ah, ah, ah. And I started rubbing my leg like Rain Man and like rocking back and forth. Like I had some kind of problem. And he goes, I go, I'll come to London. He goes, we're in a room in New York together. Why would you come to London? And then, and then and then he goes, is it easy to do? I go, oh, it's really easy. You could, I don't want to be a bother. I know you're busy. You could do it on your phone naked from your toilet. I'm like, oh my God, what am I saying? I got to get out of here. <laughs> so I say, all right, listen, I'll, uh, I'll set this up with your assistant and we'll figure this out. And he goes, no, 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 you and I will do it. I go, what? He goes, they're just going to make it too complicated. You and I will do it. We're going to exchange numbers. But when I call you, you got to be ready to do it. I'm like, Okay. So now I'm exchanging numbers with Paul McCartney and he does the performance and I'm running now. The show's over. I'm running to get to the daily show. I'm busy. I wait. My phone rings. I don't recognize the number and I let it ring the voicemail. <laughs> and this is the message on my phone. Podcasting. I've got some time now, otherwise I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there in five minutes time, you got me. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and I have that saved in about 50 places. I have that saved in a vault. I have that in a tree. Like that, that's <laughs> everywhere. And then I retrieved the message in the middle of Manhattan. I was screaming like a crazy person going, screen call! Paul McCartney! I was just ranting, yelling at myself. I threw my phone. Can you believe it? What an idiot I am! And then I got my phone. I called him. I had to stall him for an hour and a half. I finally got a recording line and we did the interview. <laughs> Unreal. I'm surprised you didn't call your friends and say, you don't do a good Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> that would have been great oh my god but, yeah it was so crazy that he um and he was great you know we just talked about making music and his process of writing and everything else and um and it was really like the one of the highlights of my you know my life along with talking to you of course and <laughs> uh, um but no he couldn't have been nicer you know they say the bigger they are the nicer they are he could not have been nicer because i, I have heard that he is is really very nice and very accommodating and everything else for uh, a friend that was works for xm told me that you know just just a great regular guy yeah i think one of the things that helped not that i had a plan or did it for this reason is that i didn't ask him for anything like an autograph or a photo i heard that does he's not crazy about that because i'm sure he's and you know gets bombarded with that so i i just when i was talking to him i really didn't want anything out of him other than to just be talking to this amazing genius and then we just were talking like two guys like you and i are talking and then i i think because i you know you know you've been around enough celebrities you run like i work on these shows and they're you don't want to be fawning all over them they just want to be treated like normal human beings so I mean, I want to be fawned all over. So if you ever meet me in person, like, I think you should totally fawn all over me. But the rest of the world, uh, no. Okay, so, well, 
Well, it, we, we're going to have an opportunity to fawn all over you on Friday, February 9th at Ramshead in Annapolis. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> at, at, nice. at 8 p.m. I mean, uh, tickets are available at ramsheadonstage.com, and there are a few left, so go get them right now because this looks like it's going to be an amazing show. One question I do often ask guests is if they weren't successful in their career, you know, what would they be doing? And I guess we kind of know that answer. You'd be like doing mergers and acquisitions and lawyer mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. let's go back like when you were a little kid, when you're, you know, your mom had the store, just opened Carp- the store. What carpent? A carpenter. A carpenter. I loved carpentry work, like working with my hands. I loved woodworking and I wanted to be a carpenter. And my father's like, no, my father put floors in for a living and kind of you know, beat up his knees and everything. And he goes, you know, you're not going to work with your hands. You're going to work with your head. And, but I, I would do it all day. And if I didn't do this, I, I'd be doing that. I'd be terrible. Nothing would be square. And you'd like sue me if I worked on your house, but you know, I, cause I'd probably be drunk doing it, but I would do it. And, uh, uh but no, that, that's, that's something I could, I always loved doing. How about you? Like if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Oh man, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be dead. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was just talking to somebody earlier today and said, you know, I have no right to be alive at this age just from the stupid shit I did when I was younger. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I have no idea. I might've been a, been a, in the medical field or something like that. I don't, I have no idea. I mean, it's my, my, you know, I was in construction management at one point and I owned a bunch of travel agencies at another point and, Wow. And then this was all started on a dare from somebody when I was uh, doing some work with MSNBC and uh, somebody dared me to try something and I did and it started to make money. I said, oh, I guess we got to figure out how to make it work. So that's, wow. I understand that you have a play in the works. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a, a Broadway show. Is there a take- Tony on the horizon now? Uh, you know. I think so. I mean, given my track record, I think uh, if not, again, I'll just steal one from Bette Midler, but I'm going to get a Tony. It's the last thing I do, my friend. There, there you <laughs> uh, go. I, I like to talk to the audiences and I'm going to be doing this in my show uh, at uh, Ramshead, you know, and because I think people have amazing stories. And if you peel the onion back, they'll tell you anything. And grown up, born out of that, um, you know, some producers saw me doing it in New York and I mean, we ended up doing a uh, off-Broadway and the Broadway version of it. And Frank Oz is the director and um, we do a, this beautiful screen with rear projection, with animation, and we kind of use the animation to tell some stories. But the premise of the show is we're disconnected and sort of nameless and faceless to each other. But if we share stories, we realize we have more in common than we think, and maybe we're not so divisive. It's not a political show, but it's definitely a show where once people get in a room together, they realize, oh, we're all kind of in the same boat together, you know, like, and, uh, you know, you, you know, you've got, you know, you got a dog that poops on the car, but I got a dog that poops on the car. I have a 96-year-old mother that will not go down. You have a 96-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, Frank got involved because uh, he really loved the uh, idea of sort of connecting people and sharing stories and up uh, through sharing stories. So he basically really became a big champion of it. And uh, it's called Permission to Speak. We're going to be doing it at uh, Sellersville, Pennsylvania. We did it in uh, Chicago. We're taking it to uh, outside of New York City and all over Arizona. And and it's been great because we've been getting these amazing stories from people um, that are like funny and 
like crazy and poignant all at the same time and like people connecting after the shows and going up and talking to each other but the stories have just been just off the charts like so i may be bringing that i probably will be bringing back that to the area so love to get talk to you about that again down the road but like yeah that's a really really so we're kind of alternating doing my stand-up one weekend and then my my broadway show another weekend that we're taking out on tour good but you'll you'll love the sellersville theater that's a really pretty theater that's a real old one that they restored recently somewhat recently and it's uh it's a nice it's a nice crowd up there it I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful, and uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get stories. Like, I, I just get them wherever I go, like, even just to stand up. Like, I had a couple, they were like 74. I go, how did you meet? They go, oh, we met on a website, but they were giggling. I go, what's so funny? I go, well, it's not your typical website. We went, we met on an S&M website. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, she goes, yeah. And the woman goes, yeah, like, I'm a sub, like, I'm submissive. He's a dom. And we were looking to hook up, and we hooked up, and then we fell in love, and then we got married and they literally look like your grandmother and grandfather it freaks <laughs> you out but it's but that's real life like people on the outside don't match the inside and vice versa right so and people would just their jaws were on the floor like is this really happening Did these people really and it, sure enough they did and i and i said to her why is it great to be a sub she goes because it's the only i have a very important job she said and i have to be in charge and in control but it's the only part of my day or my life where I don't have to be in control and somebody else is in control. And that's makes sense. And so that's the kind of stuff you get. And, um, I now join them in S and M sessions. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so no, you're the it, unicorn. I am. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I want to be the unicorn. No, I want to be. Uh, so yeah. Well, Paul Mercurio, thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to see your show on the ninth at Ramshead. And again, there are still a handful of tickets left. You can get them at RamsheadOnStage.com. But before you do that, you want to go visit PaulMercurio.com. Find out all that's going on there. And that's uh, M-E-C-U-R-I-O dot com. Mm -hmm. And uh, safe travels to Annapolis. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. And thank you again so yeah. much for your time this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, and the people can check out my podcast, Inside Out, with uh, Paul Mercurio, with uh, Paul McCartney, and uh, Kevin Costner, Stephen Colbert, a lot of a lot of big names and stuff. And um, But thank you. This has been a lot, a lot of fun, and hope to see you all. And there are, it's not, I know it sounds like we're, like, whatever. So tickets are going fast, but they actually are. There aren't a lot left, so people should jump on if they, they think I'm funny and come on out and hang out. I'd love to see you there and hang out with you a bit, too. So thank you for having me. It's been great. I will absolutely say hello when we're there. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at IonAnapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.